Welcome to another Perusia podcast. I'm Shabal Reis, your host. And in our studios, Perusia in Sydney, Australia, we have a, a long-time friend now, um, founder of chastityproject.com, none other than Jason Everett, the author of this book, Male, Female, Other, and it's the latest one in his range. And we printed uh, the whole range of the Chastity Project, and he joins me live in the studio. So excited. Jason, great Good to, to have you. Good to be with you. Good to see As you. always. How have you been? Can't complain. Can't no, complain. This is visit number six down under. So wow. Always happy to come back. And you're closing in on uh, Deacon Harold and Tim Staples. They, oh, really? They've been here, I think it's seven times. Okay. So you're one. I right. need to get you here another time. Yeah, let's get back here. Make that eight. And then Deacon is due to make an eighth trip <laughs> next year. So, awesome. oh my goodness, wow. Yeah. Um, you are being busy. You, and just, uh, I, I had you on the podcast when you were over in the States and we, we talk, talked a little bit about how COVID affected things and mm -hmm. you know, as, a, as a chastity speaker and yeah. being full-time out there, that, that hit you hard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and doing things um, virtually, yeah. uh, you maybe you're sort of pivoting there, but then now things have opened up mm -hmm. and you're out there again, full swing. Yeah. Um, so, so nonstop, has it been, is it back, would you say it's back to what it was before? Yep, and then some. And then some. Oh, and so, then some, yeah. So because there's so much backed up requests. Of yeah. people in schools who couldn't have the assembly because of social distancing and all that. Yes. Now that's all in the rearview mirror, and everybody wants to make up for lost time. Praise God. Praise yeah. God. And uh, look, we've been talking as well, off just just chatting uh, off air, and the the need of this message, the yeah. need of what you what what's out there. Students are hungry to hear the truth, and yeah. in a loving way. And you, you um, one of the very few in the world that do this. Um, I mean, I can imagine the demand is so high, yeah. but also the 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 culture's changed a bit yeah. since pre, if we're going to say BC, before COVID, mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. um, and now post-COVID. Yeah. Four years, is, it's not a long time, but it feels like a lot has moved. I mean, so you, re yeah. you released a book like Male, Female, Other. Yeah. I mean, probably 10 years ago, no need to do that. Not even on the radar. Tell us, what have you noticed in the shift in... Um, in, in the struggles in, 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 in teenagers now? Because that's, that's your primary audience. Uh, yeah. Probably, what, 13, 14-year-olds up to 18, 19? Yeah, high school and college. And college. in college as well, mm -hmm. of course. Yeah. Um, what have you noticed, I guess, and I'm, I'm just curious because the, the world looked very different, you know, four or yeah. five years ago, and now it's moved so fast and it's still moving in a rapid rate. What have yeah. you noticed the major things there? Yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence that this massive ascent of people identifying as trans happened after the whole COVID thing because mm -hmm. of the amount of time that people were spending in social isolation, just mm -hmm. spending countless hours uh, scrolling through social media. In fact, there's a researcher named Dr. Lisa Littman, not a Catholic, not a conservative. She worked for Planned Parenthood. She noticed this uh, trend happening of adolescent girls who typically come from progressive families, often go to public schools, uh, spending an inordinate amount of time on TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, mm -hmm. um, and then coming out as trans and then non-binary and then their friend comes out as gender fluid and this, that, pop, 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 pop. Before I know it, there's six or seven girls all in the same school with these commonalities of spending massive amounts of time on social media because you know they're struggling with their identity and a sense of connection and then they find these gender labels that seem to kind of resonate with their lived experience of feeling like, yeah, I, I feel like I've never fit in with the women and I feel like that I'm not quite one of them and maybe mm. that word, maybe that's what I am. And so they're kind of finding themselves in these new identities. But I remember one girl saying to me, who's wrestling with it, she's like, I just wish I lived on a farm 30 years ago because I wouldn't be wrestling with any of this stuff. Mm -hmm. so. 
Wow, so that's that's clearly out there. Um, and do, are you address, are you having to address this topic more in your presentations? Are you noticing that, and how has that been received? Yeah, uh, and so in the chastity talks, we keep it fit, focused mainly on chastity rather okay. on the topic of gender. We've had to create an entirely different talk just on the subject of gender. Yeah. And uh, the requests that we're getting from that from parishes and universities and conferences yeah. of like, hey, because th there's no priest right now in the church that went to seminary where they really discussed pastoral care for prisoners who identify as non-binary. It's like, wasn't even on the radar. Yeah. And then now they're in charge of a, you know, a Catholic elementary school. And like, wait a minute, we've got three kids in the elementary school that are identifying as trans and they want us to use this pronoun. Like, what do we do? And the teacher goes to the principal, what's our policy? Well, we don't have a policy. Mm. Ask the priest, father, what's our policy? I don't have a policy. Ask the diocese. And the diocese is <laughs> like, we don't have a policy. And so everybody's kind of scrambling for answers. And so that's why I created the book is to kind of provide clarity, but at the same time as charity of really trying yeah. to set the pastoral tone for how do we approach this challenging subject of gender dysphoria without treating it like it's just simply some infernal ideology that we needed to debate and debunk and disprove. Like, well, yeah, there's that element of anthropology we have to look at, but these are also human beings yes. that are really wrestling with gender dysphoria. Mm. And if they feel like all we have to give them is an argument, then it's like, okay, well, there's no room for me in the church to navigate the struggles that I'm having. Wow, so well put. You do have a gift in, in, in sharing Christ's love, and, and, and I know in the past, because years ago I remember the whole um, gay marriage debate and, yeah. and, and addressing that, and people were struggling on how to communicate with that and, yeah. um, and, and how to deal with that. And, and I, I would say, with a lot of the work, you know, we're talking about what is love in relationships and dating, and you've written yeah. on this for years. Yeah. So I want to I want to just sort of touch on out maybe a quick highlight I've pulled this out to you, you talk about the dating blueprint this oh. is a big part of yeah. the ministry and 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 what to do there before I want to dive into this book but okay. this very quickly this book about dating because yeah. it's been a big part of your career mm -hmm. you spent many yeah. years talking about this what would people expect when they read this well we came out with a book for the girls uh, how to find your soulmate without losing your soul yes. and the guys are like well, where's the book for guys and i'm like what well, guys <laughs> don't read and they're like no like we're literate we want a book and i'm like okay so i thought what are the guys actually going to read and then it just dawned on me i'm like that's what it is. I've always felt bad for the guys because all they get told with the relationships is what they can't do. Like, don't mm. do this and don't do that and don't do that. And I'm like, all right, then they get to college and it's like, okay, I, I can't sleep with my girlfriend. I can't look at pornography with my girlfriend. I can't live with my girlfriend. Can't have an abortion with my girlfriend. I'm like, okay, I know everything I can't do with a woman, but what am I supposed to do with one? Oh, well, we don't teach that. You know, good luck in college, bye. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's what we need. It's like a book on, on just dating etiquette to actually give these guys the specifics of like, okay, how do I know this is the right girl to date? Is it the right time to date? If so, how do I ask her out? What are dating etiquette tips of just like, where do I go on a first date? And like, just because guys just want specifics. That's and I right. think if you give them the specifics, and I started writing the book and then I quit because I'm like, well, guys don't care what I think about dating. Guys want to know what the girls think about dating, but girls don't want to tell the guy what they want the guy to know because they want it to come from him and not from her. And I'm like, how do you get around it? So I <laughs> got on our social media. I'm like, okay, we got 100,000 women following us on social media who are single. So I said, ladies, just tell me what you wish we knew, you know, and I'll put it in the book for the guys. Just like, how do you want to be asked out? How do you not want to be asked out? Where do you want to go on a first date? Just give me the specifics, spill the beans, and I'll let the guys know. I remember and the that. floodgates oh, opened, yeah. and they submitted more than 30,000 words of feedback, but it was huh. gold. And so we put what the women said in that book of just the specifics of like, don't ask me out over a text message. It's got to be face-to-face. -face. Use huh. the word date. Have clarity. Don't just ghost me if you want to break up. You know, just, just the specifics. I just, I got to list them just straight through for what people can yeah. expect. I love it. You know, love your bride before you meet her. Mm -hmm. 
is she the, is the one? Ask her out. <laughs> yeah. There's a, that's a basic yeah. thing, right? Ask her out. Mm -hmm. It's not happening these days. Uh, date your soulmate and then prepare a place for her and then cleave to her. Yeah. Six chapters, nice and small. Yeah. But it's a good size, you know, uh, book. So fantastic. Yeah. I'm I, glad you did that. Yeah. Now the, the guys are happy too. They told me it worked. I got a girlfriend. You know? Wow. And now I know actually what to do with her in the meantime. And so that's that's the end game of the ministry is kind of create little holy families. Yeah. But you can't get there if no one's asking anybody out. Wow. Well, keep going. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, 26 years now you've been yeah. doing this. Is mm -hmm. that right? Yeah. Praise God. And, and, and it's a message that needs to be taught. You've covered so much, and I encourage everyone to look at the range. We've got on, on our website, perusiumedia.com, chastity, uh, chastity Project, and all of that. You've got a website, chastity.com. Mm -hmm. um, is the org one there as well? Just .org is uh, our secular or public school okay. website. So all chastity stuff, but no religious content. I want to I want to promote that too. Yeah. Uh, if we can, chastity.org. We'll mm -hmm. put them both in the in the link yeah. um, because we do have non-Catholics watching the show, mm -hmm. and I'd like um, to have something for them to point to. And yes. It's the same messaging is powerful, mm -hmm. and, and of course uh, these great starters as well. I just wanted to highlight. Sorry, um, pure manhood, pure womanhood, pure love. I've had um, lots of non-Catholics want these. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you've had them, you've created secular versions for these as well, which oh. we do also have in the, in the public schools. Yep, secular and Spanish and then the Catholic English. Spanish, mm -hmm. fantastic. Yeah. Your wife also um, wrote, wrote a book, Made New. Yep. yep. What does she do? In well, it's because, you know, the whole Me Too movement came out years ago, yes. hashtag Me Too, but there was like no follow-up to it. It's just like hashtag. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, that, we need some follow-up. So she kind of shared in this book how she was sexually abused by somebody in her own family and talks about how to kind of face it and heal it instead of absorbing the shame and the blame that doesn't belong to you in the first place. Mm -hmm. So she kind of walks you through all these lies you start to believe when these wounds aren't getting healed of just yes. like, I'm unlovable, or I'm not worth protecting, or it was my fault, or I don't need to go to counseling, or I don't need help. It, just all these things you have to one by one go through because a lot of times if you suffer a trauma and it's not healed, kind of lies start to grow out of that. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not mm -hmm. worth loving and your, your body's not a big deal and all this stuff. And then from these lies sprout bad fruit of promiscuity or body image issues, all this stuff, and that gets all the attention. But if you really get down to the root system, that's what needs to get healed. Because otherwise you can just clip off the fruits, but they're gonna be back in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And so we gotta get down to that root system that's sprouting these lies. And so that's what she tries to do in the book. Wow, wow, fantastic. It's a beautiful story how you met your wife and proposed and we've yep. um, do that. But now you write this book and, and, and sometimes a lot of people don't wanna talk about this. Mm -mm. Um, and, I, and so I congratulate for going there. It's a Catholic guide to understanding gender. Yeah. And um, I want to really stress the way you do it, the way you do it in a, uh, as respectful as possible. It's in a loving way. And you got all these different chapters, um, gender theory claims. Mm -hmm. um, you cover quite a lot. There's a lot of research that's gone yeah. into this one. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about the process first. I mean, when did, when did it, when the idea of just, I need to write this book, when, when did that sort of first idea come into your mind? Well, the idea came because I'm looking for the book and it wasn't there. Mm. And there were good books out there, but it was just, uh, for so many Catholics are just looking for like, okay, how do we respond to this stuff? Whether yeah. it's my daughter who is identifying as trans, what do I do? Or what if I experience gender dysphoria? What does God think about me? Uh, you know, just so many questions. Or a college student sitting in a gender studies class and the professor's like, well, there's actually five different sexes and there's an intersex brain. And like, uh, like well, how do I respond to this? I, so I figured, okay, I've already done a lot of research and I've talked to lots of people wrestling with this personally. I'm gonna read maybe another 15 books on the subject. Mm -hmm. I'll have a good handle on it, then I'll write my own. So I finished the 15 books and I'm like, I'm not even close to where I need to be to write this book. I need to read 
five more in endocrinology, five more in pediatric medicine, five more in psychology, five more in anthropology, five more in feminism, five more in Marxism, five more in da, da, da. And by the time I was done, it was like 20 something thousand pages worth of literature that I had read and I felt like, okay, now I'm in a space where I feel like I'm actually wrapping my mind around this a little better and I can speak into this. And most of the books I read were not from a Catholic perspective. I already had the Catholic anthropology understanding. But um, So I really read a lot of people who do not agree with the church teaches on this. So I could very much understand where they're coming from them and, and the wounds sometimes that they're speaking yeah. out of. Um, because the last thing I want to do is put out a book and they're like, that's not what I believe. That's mm. not what we think. And like kind of straw manning and misrepresenting their positions. And so I wanted to make sure that I'm reading Judith Butler and I'm reading some of these, you know, matriarchs of feminist thought and gender theory. Um, and then if you look at the back of the book, there's more than a thousand references in the endnote section that you can just go look at for peer-reviewed scientific journals on the brain research or disorders of sexual development. And so it's the type of book that you could give to a parent who has a kid struggling with it. Yes. You could give it to a person who's experiencing gender dysphoria. You could give it to a teacher, a student, a priest, or whoever. And so Fantastic. we obviously cover a lot of ground on it. But again, I really wanted to set the past tone of this isn't just about winning a debate. This is about accompanying people who are wrestling with a very difficult subject that needs someone not just to talk to them, but to hear them and to listen to them. I had dinner last week with a gentleman who identifies as trans, and uh, he, he and I have been corresponding for a long time via email, but I never met him in person. And I said, hey, I'm coming to your town. Like, do you want to do dinner and on me? And he's like, yeah. So he, he drove an hour and a half to come. And we just sat there and he talked probably 98% of the conversation, mm. and I just I just listened, you know, and I was just, just there for him, and um, I didn't go on the pre-existing agenda, okay, by the end of the dinner, I gotta convince him of X, Y, and Z. It's just like, okay, this is more of a marathon. This is not a sprint. Um, I'm gonna walk with this guy, and hopefully I'll have a friendship for years, and see, see what blooms from it. Perfect, I mean, that's that's what it's about. Um, we really we really do ourselves no favors in trying to win, you know, debates. You win a debate, you've won nothing, really. Yeah. Ultimately, it's a soul yeah. and it's a person in front of you. Um, and we're all in this together mm -hmm. as, as a global family. Yeah. Um, you, you go through all the claims. Can I, can I touch on some yeah, of the Yeah, pick whatever you like. I mean, there's so many. Yeah. And, and, and so let's, let's, I mean, the very first one, each person has their own gender identity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, one of the challenges is the word gender. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it originally came from a Greek root and the word that meant the, the manner in which one generates. And that's, okay, well, that's pretty darn clear because there's only two manners in which we generate. Mm -hmm. I mean, you either have one of two gonads, you know, either the testes or the ovaries, that's it. You know, the gametes, sperm, egg, that's it. There's no third, there's no fourth, there's no intermediate. And so originally, it was pretty clear. Um, the first time we see the word gender appear in the English language, I believe it was about the 14th century, used in reference to grammar, that that noun is masculine, feminine, or neuter. Some languages have up to five different genders. So it was a linguistic term. About a century later, it appears uh, used as a synonym for biological sex. But it was predominantly throughout history just used for language. Uh, but then in the mid-1950s, we had a guy named Dr. John Money who coined the term gender roles. And here we start to see a departure between sex and gender. We start to see some space between those words for the first time. And the church would think, think that, okay, we can distinguish gender from sex, but we can't divorce it from sex. And But, but to me, the problem with the word gender is it means so much so many different things to so many different people. And you could imagine having a conversation with someone who doesn't know what the word means with like a gender theory professor. And, mm. and so I'd be like, okay, well, what's gender? And they would say, well, gender is your innate sense of your identity as male, female, both, or other. And then the other person's like, oh, so like, it, so you're telling me, so when you do a gender reveal party, you're like revealing the innate 
sense of gender identity of an embryo? No, 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 you're revealing the biological sex. Okay, so gender, sex? No, gender's different than sex. What, what, what? You know, you could just see how quickly you start, you know, confused because it ha can have all these different meanings. And so to me, the word gender is particularly unhelpful. Mm -hmm. And so is it true that each of us has a different sense of what it means for me to be male or female and, and, and how I understand that? Yeah, it does. But mm -hmm. what we've got to understand is that uh, your body is not meaningless. Your body is meaningful. Your body isn't something you have like you have a pair of jeans. Your body is you. So if you say, I'm going to the store, well, Charbel's going to the store. Like mm -hmm. your body is probably gonna go to the store with Charbel if you're going to the store. And so we can't dislocate in a sense, detach our identity from our bodies because then your identity is gonna have to attach somewhere, if not your body. But if it's not gonna attach to your body, it's just gonna attach to your personality. But there are as many personalities as there are persons and you will literally end up with an endless spectrum of gender identities. And that's the cute confusion where we've landed today. Wow, wow. So, I mean, it, it is one of the very first things we read in the Bible, for example, male, yeah. female, they created mm -hmm. it. And there is, and you know, we've, we, we know in our generation, the generations before, the battle of the sexes, you mm -hmm. know, we've had the, the feminist movement's been out of a response, you know, and, yeah. but that sort of, a lot of things changed now, because remember, I remember talking about um, among, is there a, a gay gene? Mm -hmm. Yeah, remember, remember that was yep. a big thing yeah. about 10, 15 years yep. ago. Yeah, didn't find it. And we didn't find it, yeah. but then even more evidence, now with this transgender mm -hmm. movement, um, it, well, are you born this way or that way? And, yeah. and then so we're, if we are changing um, yeah. more than once, sometimes twice, sometimes three times, sometimes more, yeah. uh, that, that, that opens up other cans of worms. And so mm -hmm. we're not really settling in on what it is, who we are in our, in our sexuality, but yeah. then as a human person, and we've mm. got to get back to our identity. Yeah, um, and, and the world will tell the people that are wrestling with us, like, look, if you don't feel at home in your body, then your feelings are not the problem, your body is the problem. And so, you're, because your body doesn't reveal reality, your feelings reveal reality. And so if you really want to be true to yourself, you just have to admit you're trans. And then the only, if that's the diagnosis, then the only treatment is transition. Mm -hmm. Social transitioning, puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, surgeries, then you'll feel at home in your own body, and you go down the whole road, and then within 10 years, their suicide rate climbs to 19 times higher than the general population. And you it's not studies the, of this, right? I mean, oh yeah. That, that's a big claim. Yeah, and that, wow. that's the biggest study that was ever done, and it was in Sweden. And which is a very progressive culture. So it's not like, oh, well, it's because you transphobic bigots, they're killing themselves. What it is is that 90% of people who commit suicide have a diagnosable mental health disorder that's in need of clinical intervention. And you don't solve that with surgeries and hormones. And so if you isolate out the female to male transitioners, you're looking at a suicide rate more than 40 times higher than the general population. And so that's why if you look at what's going on in the Scandinavian countries, in Norway, Finland, Sweden, even Amsterdam, they're doing a U-turn on this. You can't get puberty blockers for minors over there anymore. You want to show up at a gender clinic in Amsterdam. Oh, my daughter's non-binary. She wants puberty blockers. They won't even give it to her for like two years. And from the kid's perspective, wow. it's like, oh, by the time you give it to me, my puberty's gonna be over. And from their perspective, it's like, exactly. Yeah, because they, uh... the writing's on the wall. I mean, Western Europe, they're doing an about face on this. Unfortunately, Spain, Canada, England, Australia. I mean, the writing's on the wall, but we've got like the pedal to the metal heading right towards this absolute dumpster yeah. fire. Yeah. When you say minus, what age are we talking about when people are doing these operations? Oakland, California, Children's Hospital, 12 years old, double mastectomies for girls. Los Angeles Children's Hospital, 13 years old. Oregon, uh, age of medical consent is now changed to 15, so girls can get double mastectomies without their parents' permission. 
uh, throughout the entire state of Oregon. Uh, but you can't use a tanning bed till you're 18 or get a tattoo till you're 21. The double standards right there. <laughs> yeah, and, and who's going to turn the tide is going to be the detransitioners. Yeah. The tens of thousands of people right now that are starting up lawsuits and petitions and websites and activist groups to hit the brakes on this thing. Because they're like, look, we did it, and you told us the research was there, and then we got the side effects, then we looked into the research and realized the research hasn't even been done yet. Hmm. Like, you're giving me puberty blockers telling us this is fully reversible, when in reality, 99% of the time when you put a kid on puberty blockers, they just grow on cross-sex hormones. So you don't even know what happens for people who go off the puberty blockers, telling us it's reversible, where's the data? There is none, because they haven't done any studies on it. They're telling the kids, oh, totally safe, but the kids, girls who go on puberty blockers become more likely to self-harm afterwards. Uh, if you go puberty blockers to cross-sex hormones, it sterilizes you for the rest of your life. You go on the cross-sex hormones as a girl, the testosterone, your risk of heart disease quadruples, you'll have to have your uterus removed within five years because the increased risk of endometrial cancer, I mean, the osteoporosis of these kids because the puberty blockers halt bone development. So you've got like 15-year-old kids in the trans community who have the bones of like a 70-year-old woman in their body. And like, I never broke a bone before, then I started taking this and I, I broke three toes, I broke my wrist, I broke four fingers, you know. And it's like, their bones are brittle, and the, the problem is like, well, they're not losing bone strength. No, they're not losing bone strength. The problem is they're not getting bone strength. And if you miss that critical window of bone development at adolescent, you can't recoup that time. You miss the window, it's gone. And so where are these kids gonna be when they're 75 years old? Yeah, wow, wow. So do you have that, I mean, that's all in the book? You, Everything you covered, it, yeah. Right? And these people who are detransitioning. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's fascinating. Tens of thousands out there oh. coming out in the, in the public. Yeah, you look at, uh, if you just go on a website like reddit.com and mm -hmm. just get in there and type hashtag detrans, mm -hmm. the forum there is more than 50,000 people on there alone. And they're screaming from the rooftops, like, get the kids off the drugs, like, this is child abuse. And like, these aren't people who are like right-wing conservative activists. Like, these are people, some of whom still identify, you know, in this area and experience gender dysphoria, saying, look, this is not the answer. Quit treating the kids like guinea pigs. You know, the, what's interesting is the biggest gender clinic in the United Kingdom is called Tavistock, and it just got shut down this last spring. And what had happened is 35 of their psychologists quit they said, we're not being allowed to explore the deeper psychological issues. They only did one audit ever of the young people. And what they found is 125 kids coming in for gender transitioning. And they found that 98% of them had comorbidities of mental health disorders, but they had no staffing to deal with mental health issues. So they just diagnosed them as trans and just pushed them through the pipeline. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we got to pray for our yeah, <laughs> yeah the medicals. Yeah, but it was just shut down, and now they've wow. fractured it into smaller mental health clinics. My goodness. Yeah, I mean, eighteen chapters you go in this book yeah. quite a lot. Uh, you do, you do um, this one here. Trans people should be free to compete in sports, use restrooms, and enter public spaces that align with their gender identity. These are the topic. This yeah, is the, this yeah. Is one of these the, are the claims. Mm -hmm. The claims. Yeah. I mean, yeah. more and more people are uh, realizing we, uh, female sports yeah. are starting to realize, hang on, there is a disadvantage here. Oh, yeah. Rugby. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. uh, well, I mean, you just look at like in America, uh, USA Powerlifting just lost a lawsuit that they now have to allow people who identify as female, even though they're biological males, to compete in women's powerlifting sports. And what that means 
is uh, if I were to identify as female, I would actually have the world record for deadlifting in my age and weight class huh. of any woman who's ever lived. You know, I'd have the world record. I mean, that's how nonsensical it is. Yeah. And these women are just, they're losing scholarships, they're suffering injuries, get their teeth knocked out. And it's like, who's gonna, with it? because you gotta ask yourself, okay, who's gonna stand up for women's rights within the trans community? The men who want to be one or the women who don't? The answer is neither. And so as a result, it's a, it's a form of misogyny of just like, no, 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 my desire to appropriate womanhood is more important than your safety in the sport and your scholarship and everything else. But in the States, people are starting to stand up against this. There was a women's swim team where a guy was allowed to get on the team identifying as a woman and the girl's like, okay, well then you're the team, we're out of here. You can have your women's swimming team, it's just wow. gonna be a guy who says he's, he's female. Now, we've gotta have nuance here though. And what I mean is, when it comes to issues of like, let's say domestic violence shelters, what's happening is men are showing up at these clinics or at these domestic violence shelters, identifying as a woman, being allowed in because they can't discriminate based on gender identity. Then a woman who comes in, who's been domestically assaulted, goes into the shower area and there's a guy in there. Then they go to the manager, uh, there's a guy in the shower. And the manager says, well, that's actually a trans woman and we can't uh, discriminate based on gender identity. So you can either uh, tolerate that person's presence or sleep outside yourself tonight. I'm like, okay, well, what about this woman? She just got domestically assaulted by a live-in boyfriend. She doesn't want to really share a shower with a guy who mm -hmm. says that he's a woman. Fair enough. Okay, but then where does the guy sleep who identifies as a woman? Do we put him in the men's domestic violence shelter presenting as a woman where he's likely to get assaulted by the guys? Okay, then where does he sleep? You know, behind a dumpster in an alley somewhere? How do we care for him? And so you can see the complexity of these issues. Okay, this is a person who needs a safe place to spend the night who probably doesn't feel safe, you know, within. Or you look what's going on in the, the prisons. Almost every state in America has men who identify as women being allowed into the women's prisons. Pregnancies, rapes, sexual assault, childbirth. Like, what do you do with the baby born to an inmate who was impregnated through a sexual assault from an, another mm -hmm. male inmate who thought he was a female? It's like, okay, well, but what if you put that guy in the women's, in the men's prison where he belongs, he's gonna get, you know, assaulted yes. over there. So we need to dedicate special units perhaps within correctional facilities for people who identify as trans who aren't gonna be safe in these other facilities. And so we've got to be able to make sure that we have enough sensitivity to these issues of saying, you're out here, you're over there, and being like, mm -hmm. okay, this person needs care and we're not gonna just throw them to the gutter. And maybe it needs some accommodations and some bending a little bit, but we need to care about this person as a human being and their safety as well, because if we don't, no wonder why they might be more likely to take their life, because mm. nobody's actually looking out for them. So true. A lot of, so a lot of this is, is really, um, I mean, uh, sometimes a response to some tragic um, abuse and, and, and mm -hmm. all of this sort of stuff. And th this is a real, a real core problem. That, that, that the elephant in the room is, is the mistreatment uh, of, of either minors, mistreatment mm -hmm. of each other, men, you know, mm -hmm. through, through violence, through sexual yeah. um, abuse as well. Mm -hmm. And we've had just, um, it's gone far too long. Um, oh, yeah. And how do we, this is it. And this is sort of, we're seeing, um, we're in a place now where we don't even know where to turn, how to talk about things, how to bring up a conversation. Yeah. And we just sort of put our head in the sand and just, oh, whatever. Yeah. Um, we need to be, we need to really speak about this and, yeah. and, and if we love people, yeah, um, we've got to do this. Yeah, I mean, it's heartbreaking because y you look at the, the, the murder rate, the suicide rate of people in the trans community, yeah. uh, part of it is uh, they have a very difficult find finding gainful employment. 
And so many of them turned to sex work in order to make ends meet. And a lot of homicides happen within that line of work because it's intrinsically dangerous. And obviously suicide leading out of that type of lifestyle as well. And so I think it's so important that we as Catholics approach this issue um, with ears and eyes, not just a mouth to debate and win some debate. Like, and that's what we're doing right now. We're just trying to win a bunch of debates. And, and there's a time and place for that, and I understand the importance of it, but eyes and ears, like I know a guy who does evangelization in gay and lesbian bars in Chicago. When he told me that, I'm like, wow, you know, you're probably a pretty popular guy I'm bringing your catechism into a lesbian bar. And he's like, no, we just talk about, you know, the Bears and the White Sox. And I'm like, well, how do you talk about God? And he said, usually we don't. And I said, well, how's that evangelization? He said, look, I've been doing this for three years. And he said, I have male prostitutes calling my cell phone at three o'clock in the morning when they're gonna commit suicide because they know I'm gonna pick up the phone, I'm a really good listener. He said, you don't always have to be the mouth of Christ, sometimes you just have to be his ears. And so that's the idea, like we gotta be just not the mouth and like winning debates. Ears, I need to listen to this person's story and be there for them. But even the eyes of Christ, I met a mom recently and her adult Catholic son is now transitioning. And the mother's just heartbroken. You know, she's probably 55, 60 years old or whatever, mm -hmm. and she's devastated. And she's told the boy, the man, like, don't even come to my house in your wig and your mascara and your, your fingernails. I wouldn't even look at you if you come into my house. And I challenge her on it. I'm like, you know, I said, I can understand it's hard to look at your son because it's very different than the way that you thought he'd ever mm -hmm. look. But I said, you know what? She was Filipino, and so I used some Tagalog. I said, Mama Mary, <laughs> I said, Mama Mary did not want to look at her son when they took him down off the cross and they placed him in her arms, but she didn't take her gaze off of him. And I said, your son needs your maternal gaze of love now more than he's ever needed it in his life. And your look of love is not a look of approval and affirmation that just because I'm looking at you with love, I'm approving any decision you make, but he's waiting for your gaze. And she just, I mean, she just broke down. And I said, look, our lady's heart was pierced and yours is gonna be as well. Yeah. But don't take your gaze off your son. And, uh, and so oh. we've gotta be the eyes of Christ, the ears of Christ, the mouth of Christ, the, the, the whole approach. And I think that's, that's the pastoral tone that we need to set leading into this. Because I've talked to enough people that are like, yep, all you Catholics do is just hate and argue on social media. It's like, no, yeah. we, we gotta do better than that. Yeah, praise God. Oh, God yeah. bless you. Oh, keep going, um, that's so true. And the message of the gospel is so powerful and mm -hmm. it can pierce through if we if we actually live it <laughs> yeah. and do that. Yeah. Uh, a couple more. Um, yeah. You've got here, um, uh, parents and educators ought to affirm any child who identifies as trans. Mm -hmm. What's this chapter at? Chapter 17. Yeah. Uh, it's a big deal now. Schools um, yeah. are definitely not going there. You know, teachers have their hands tied. Um, what, how, what do we response? I mean, it's happening as young as kindergarten. Mm -hmm. So we're hearing we're hearing this happening. Oh yeah, uh, right now um, in some states in Australia, it's, yeah. it's becoming um, mm -hmm. yeah uh, illegal to even um, c consider the possibility that they could be yeah. wrong. Yeah. So please. And it's interesting how they've hijacked the English language mm -hmm. of you know saying, well, if you're trying to help a young person to feel at home in your own body, you're doing conversion therapy. Mm. But then if you're giving them cross-sex hormones and cutting their breasts off, you're giving them affirmative care. 
It's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> you're, you're affirming their gender by cutting their breasts off, but converting them by helping them to feel at home in their body. Uh, Ryan Anderson is a great Catholic thinker. said it's yes. an Orwellian misuse of language. Yes, yes. And so, um, uh, yeah, it, the, the, the social transitioning is actually correlated with chemical transitioning. Meaning if you have adults going along with this and be like, oh yeah, you wanna change your name, your preferred pronouns, your restroom, your clothing. Yeah, we'll go along with this whole thing. That's actually associated with higher rates of transitioning because in effect, the kid is looking for the social affirmation of okay, you guys think I'm on the right track? Okay, then let's let's keep going through this. And it gets harder to detransition the deeper you get into it. It's like, I've already fought for this, that I am trans and I am this and I want you to use my name, I want you to use my pronouns, I want my puberty blockers, I want my cross sex hormones, I want my breast cut off. And then it's like, wait a minute, how do I go back now that I've already demanded all these things once I realize this might not be the right option for me? There was a girl named Kiera Bell over in England. She got puberty blockers at 16, Affirmative care, you know, cross-sex hormones at 18, affirmative care, uh, double mastectomy in her early 20s, affirmative care. And then later in her early 20s, she realized, wait a minute, like, what did I do to my body? Mm. And then she looks up, like, what did you adults let me do to my body? And she sued the biggest gender clinic in the UK, the Tavistock, and she won. It took it up all the way to the high court in England, and um, they ruled that, indeed, you cannot have informed consent. To, for these procedures at the age of 16 or 18 years of age. And so parents need to get their head out of the sand and yes. just look at what the detransitioners are saying. Look at why the Western European countries have done an about face on this issue. I mean, Sweden is not denying minors puberty blockers because they're such a progressive conservative culture. It's because the data is clear. We're harming these kids with this treatment, not helping them. Wow, wow, so true, powerful. Yeah. Um, what I want to say, I mean, we, we mentioned before, I mean, the idea of abuse and a lot of, a lot of this can mm -hmm. come out of abuse, and, yeah. but, but where actually the solution isn't to give further abuse. Yeah. And that's what we're doing, in, in basically. Yeah, it's basically telling a kid, you know, I think what, it, what God would say to him is, look, like my, my child, you were not born into the wrong body. You know, you were born into the wrong culture. Like mm. a culture that's telling you you need to hurt your body to be your authentic self. Yeah. Your body doesn't need to be reconstructed. It's our culture that needs to be reconstructed. Yeah. And what the body becomes is a false target of intervention. You have this angst and it's like trauma trying to find an outlet. And it's like, it's hard to fight anxiety. It's hard to fight autism. It's hard to fight uh, sexual abuse memories. It's hard to fight when your parents are getting divorced and everybody at school hates you. But if all of a sudden, you, you, this shadow boxing becomes an actual concrete thing, my body, that's the issue, my body. Now I can feel like I'm getting somewhere if I get puberty blockers, if I put a binder on. I feel like I'm actually taking control of something when my whole life feels out of control. Mm. It's much like an eating disorder. When your whole life feels out of control, if you can count those calories, you'll feel like you're somewhat in control of life. And so what's going on here is that we're actually collaborating with a mental illness instead of actually treating it. Yeah, so true, so true. Um, the last chapter here, if you struggle with gender dysphoria, you should accept that God made you trans. Mm -hmm. This is another claim. Yeah. yeah. What, what do you guys, I mean, and, and this, this is gonna open up to, I guess, yeah, yeah. God's plan and, and why is this happening and yeah. how is God allowing it and all of this. Yeah. But just touch on the chapter first and then I'd like to unpack it. 
Yeah, in terms of like, well, this just means that you're trans. Like you have this attraction, yeah. you have this feeling, you have this inclination, that's who you are. Um, this is a real, pay, the, the identity piece is mm -hmm. major uh, mm -hmm. because young people are searching for identity and community and a sense of mission. And if they're not finding that in the church or at home, then all of a sudden they find, especially online and Instagram, these influencers saying, hey, I identify as non-binary. And then the kid's like, well, wait a minute, yeah, I feel like that guy or that girl kind of feels. Like I feel like the outlier. I feel like I've mm. never quite been at home in my own body. And I always hated my breasts anyway. And, the, and it's like, wow, you start to, and then you find this word that seems to resonate with your lived experience and then you latch onto it. And what's interesting is 42% of people in the trans community actually meet the criterion for an autism diagnosis. And one of the hallmarks of, an, of autism is you know, very black and white rigid thinking patterns and obsessive amounts of interest in a particular topic. And once you latch onto that topic, it becomes the thing that you're obsessed with. And so if your, your transition becomes that thing, you know, they, they latch onto this and they find their identity in it, but then they find their community. I've got this Spectrum Alliance and I've got this LGBT club. So all of a sudden I found this affirmation in this group when I felt like the odd man out my entire life, I finally feel like I found my family, my posse. And then all of a sudden they also find their mission. We're this victimized minority and we need to stand up for our rights. Mm -hmm. And so these core human issues of identity and community and mission all get met at once in the trans label. And that's why if you kind of poke at it a little bit or try to pull the thread out, you get this anaphylactic reaction of like, you're, you're, this is violence against me. It's like, I'm not being violent. I'm just asking you some questions mm -hmm. about this. It's because you're tapping into these core issues. And so for a person who, experiences these things, uh, what they need to understand is that we understand that this language may resonate with your lived experience, but your identity isn't trans. Your identity is your beloved child of God. That's who you are. Mm. We can't add the word trans to another word and create a new reality. That's not how the world works. I can't call myself transracial or trans age or transgender. Like the human being can't actually change sexes. And they might say, yeah, no, I'm not saying I'm changing my DNA. What I'm saying is I just wanna look how I feel. And so I think it's important that we listen to them, but to help, help them to understand, let's not, turn, let's not exchange a story for a label. Yeah. You know, I wanna hear the story. So true. Because one girl came to me and she said, yeah, I told my mom I was non-binary and she freaked out on me. And I'm like, okay, tell me what you told your mom. And she's like, well, I told her I was non-binary and my pronouns are they, them. And, and I said, okay, we're gonna do this again. I'm gonna be your mom, you're gonna be you. And I want you to explain to me, non-binary, but you're not allowed to say the word non-binary, now go. And she said, okay, well, I feel like I don't want to have to do everything the girls do. And I want to be interested in some of the things that the guys are allowed to be interested in. I don't feel like I've ever really perfectly fit in with all these other girls. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And I'm like, your mom would track with all of that. But as soon as you pull out this neologism of this word non-binary, the whole conversation's stopping there mm -hmm. because your mom's just gonna, no, no, you're not. You know, you're a girl. And it's like, okay, let's just put the label down just for a minute and tell me the story behind it. And I think that we'd make a lot more understanding of them and it would help them to understand themselves. And so the, the word that I try to give is, listen to gender dysphoria with reverent curiosity. And what I mean by that is not just obey wherever it leads you, but there's a story there. You know, there's often unmet emotional needs, there's sometimes mm -hmm. trauma. Let's listen to why the dysphoric feeling is emerging and sometimes it can be a roadmap to that person's healing. Wow, so good. Um, wanted to um yeah look look at this uh, from so 
the idea of uh, love and 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 wanting that um, we're destined, you know, we're made for love. We're made by love. We're made for love. And and so now the distinction is the idea of our identity as a yeah. made as a children, a child of God, yeah. who is love. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and many of us, if you're not called to um, mm. religious life, or yeah. then and you you want to be married, but then there are some people who just need to figure this out first. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. What what sort of I mean tips we've said a lot, but the book I mean read the book, pray. Yeah. But just struggling, not you know not if you are one watching this, listening to yeah. this, and you are confused about yeah. are you a, a male or female? Are you do you do you think you're something else or feel like you're something else? Yeah. What advice would you give that person right now yeah. um, to begin? What's the first um, step? Yeah, well, one is to know that God gets you, even yeah. when you don't feel accepted Amen. by others, not even accepted by yourself, when you feel a mystery even mm -hmm. unto yourself. He's the only one that really gets you. Even people online in the trans community and support groups, even they weren't there for you in the middle of the night when those tears were kind of landing on your pillow and you just felt like more alone than ever. God was actually with you in that moment, you know? And then there's an Old Testament passage that talks about how he stores all of our tears in a vial. I was actually over in the Holy Land and you can actually get from some archeological sites these vials that were actually little vases that women would collect their tears in wow. and would actually keep them. And so when it talks about the woman bathing Christ with her tears, it's because they actually stored them and she would have poured out her tears onto the feet of Christ. But the Old Testament said that God stores them all in the vial, that he's actually collecting them when you're not there doing it. And so to have that idea of that compassionate God who sees you in that moment and know that you're not a walking abomination to God because you're wrestling with your gender identity. This is a huge piece. They think yes. that they're constantly just in the displeasure of God because they're wrestling with this as if it's something that they chose. You know, I'm just gonna do this to defy God. Mm. No, it's like, no, I just wanna survive. Yeah. I just wanna feel at home in my own body and just know that, that he gets you and that he's willing to walk with you, that church loves you and that we ask their forgiveness for the times that we have failed to treat them with love and respect yeah. and kindness. And so we need to maybe do some apologies. And I think that would do a lot to improving the relationship of, because there are people in the Catholic Church, perhaps sitting right next to you in the pew on Sundays, who wrestle seriously with gender dysphoria, yeah. but they're just trying to pull it together on Sunday to fit the norm you know, of what they're supposed to look like, but behind closed doors, they're really wrestling. And if they hear you making fun of that tranny and this and that, well, yeah, heck, you know, you know, why would they even want to come to the mm -hmm. church? And mm -hmm. so, We've got to understand that uh, we need to make a home for these individuals and, and walk with them and know that God loves them. And it's not a sin to experience gender dysphoria. And so, so God gets you, even when you don't get yourself, he's the one who always will. Praise God. Do you cover this uh, on the website, Chassis? Do you have articles? I know you've got it on all the dating. Yeah. Um, uh, topic, but on this topic, are there th resources online? Yep. Yeah, if you go to chastity.com slash gender, mm -hmm. we have one page that ha houses all of different interviews, peer-reviewed scientific journals, a link to get the book, uh, interviews like Jordan Peterson with Chloe Cole, who's a detransitioner. Wow. So uh, legal advocacy groups that parents can work with to, to defend their rights, because a lot of times they'll have a divorce going on, a custody battle, dad wants to let the kid transition, mom does not, Who? I mean, really difficult issues. Or even in some countries where they want to get, take away your parental rights because you're not affirming the gender identity yeah. of the kid. And I mean, I've seen some heartbreaking stories of parents that lost custody of their kid 
And, uh, and the kid got involved in all the stuff and the parent is just begging the state, look, my child needs mental health services, not puberty blockers. And you know, the kid commits suicide and it's like exactly. he never got the intervention that the child needed. Um, and so it's heartbreaking stuff. And so at ch chastity.com slash gender, you'll find a lot of these resources and links. Wow, awesome. Can we, um, just as we um, come to a close, one of the final area, I, I wanna come back just to the core of, uh, I guess of relationships and, and of the cell society is the family, yep. the mm -hmm. unit, and and the concept. Yeah, you know, how right in the beginning, what is it? Male, female, children. Mm. But let's face it, one in two marriages are ending in divorce. Mm -hmm. Those who are are surviving would would probably admit it's not been the most um, greatest of relationships. Some are just putting up with it because yeah. mm. we're not seeing marriages thriving. There's yep. no, mm -hmm. we're not seeing enough uh, examples of what a, what a, a healthy marriage looks like. Mm -hmm. What would you say now to those who are in a, in a relationship, a married, a married relationship, um, uh, those who have a family and children, yeah. um, those whether they're newlyweds or, or been married decades, uh, decades yeah. and decades, yeah. and those engaged to be married. Yeah. We need healthy marriages. Mm -hmm. How can we achieve that? What's the secret? Because I yeah. think with the healthy marriage, and you correct me if I'm wrong, if we have healthy marriages, we will have healthy families. Yeah. If we have healthy families, we will have healthy yeah. children and healthy children, and I'm yeah. talking the whole being, the society will benefit. Yeah. But we've really have ripped apart mm -hmm. what that looks like. Yeah. Well, if you want to have a healthy marriage, you need healthy people to get married, <laughs> which means deal with your stuff before you get married instead of thinking your marriage is gonna be some kind of a car wash. Yeah. And you put on your wedding ring and all your porn addiction goes away. And you, you know, put on your bridal veil and all the you know, trauma or mental health issues that you never dealt with are just gonna disappear with that. And so we've got a lot of people going to marriage prep class and it's not, that's not marriage prep, that's like triage. Like that, that <laughs> there is some serious stuff that's, that should have gotten dealt with a yeah. long time ago. Um, Emily Wilson is a, a woman I know who does a lot of work with engaged couples. And she said what's been fascinating is she's never met an engaged couple ever who regretted breaking off their engagement. But the mm. number of people who regret not having broken off their engagement is staggering. Wow. And so a lot of times there's red flags and they're not getting dealt with before marriage. And then you're wondering why your marriage is a dumpster fire and it's like, well, you should have invested five years of your single life to mental health services and counseling and trauma recovery and all these things and sex addiction therapy or whatever it is you needed to deal with, you didn't deal with. And now it's gonna get a lot harder in marriage because you've got so much other stuff going on and stresses and you know triggers and things like that, that I mean, uh, some of the stuff could be so severe that they could actually threaten the validity of the marriage itself if you don't deal with this stuff. You know, other stuff, be like, no, it's a valid marriage, but it's gonna be a tough road ahead. Mm -hmm. You know, and you're gonna have to deal with a lot of stuff and baggage that probably should have gotten unloaded before the wedding day. And so it's never too late to deal with the stuff. I mean, couples need to go to counseling and things yeah. like that, but you know, sometimes it can end in some very difficult divorces and even annulments where it was like, wow, this person didn't even have the psychological capacity to enter into what was a spousal bond. They mm -hmm. were not able to assume the essential obligations of a marriage because psychologically they were just not there you yeah. know and so or, or there was stuff there hiding and lying and so we need these solid marriages and, it, and it's obviously easier said than done but get the counseling find a good Catholic marriage therapist because the, the family's under attack because it's the weapon 
Yeah. That's why it's under attack. It's like the to Top Gun movie that came out last summer. Yeah. You know, the whole theme of the movie was like kill the enemy's weapon. That's the yeah. whole thing. The whole plot was we got to bomb that thing. Why do they want to bomb that thing? Because that was the weapon. So to me, the family is the weapon that God wants. And so the devil is going to point all of his guns at that because mm. if families can just be what they're called to be, the devil's got no chance. Wow. You know? And so that, that, that's the thing. G.K. Chesterton called the family a cell of resistance to oppression. Absolutely. Amen. You talk about um, that as well, right? Uh, right? In some of your work. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, praise God. Keep going. Well, uh, I want to thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I wish I could keep going for hours. I mean, yeah. There's so much to cover. But yeah. And this is the thing. We just start one thing at a time where we're mm. at. And uh, and I would like to congratulate you on the book. Um, oh, thank you. And, and I encourage people to uh, get this book. So yeah. male, female, other. Let's go through this. Let's let's learn the facts. Let's yeah. learn how to respond. Mm -hmm. um, and and your website again, chastity.com. That's yep. it. Very yep. simple. That's it. And those who are non-Catholic, uh, uh, you recommend chastity.org. Well, yeah, come to both of them. Yeah, chastity.org has no religious content. Chastity.com yeah. is much more robust, but has the faith-based content. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank yeah. you. And um, let's keep going. We're here right behind you at Perusia. and want to keep supporting yeah. you, praying for you. Pray for us, and we'll do. Uh, thanks for coming to Australia. Oh, keep up the great work. Back. Thank God you. God bless you. Yeah. Thanks everyone for watching. I hope you learned a lot in that episode. It was only a short one. I really wish we can keep going, but get the books. Go to chastity.com or .org, uh, and at perusiamedia.com we've got the resources. Subscribe to this YouTube channel at uh, Perusia Media YouTube channel. Um, click the bell and please share these uh, videos around among your friends. We're giving more and more content away on YouTube, uh, and of course uh, all of the, the popular. Uh, podcast platforms again. Thanks everyone. Please pray for this man. He's doing important work, his family, and pray for all those young people, the, the teenagers and college age students who are listening and hearing the message. Uh, may it impact them in a positive way. May God continue to work through him. Pray for him. Pray for the Chastity Project. Pray for us at Perusia. Until next time, God bless.